James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote a letter to the early church to encourage them in the movement of Jesus. These are practical words reminding us that authentic faith is evidenced by love and good deeds, that the movement of Jesus flows through sacrificial love. When the waves of life become choppy and rough, James teaches us how to endure, how to press in, how to seek wisdom and live for what matters most. Because God is still moving through His church, the timeless words we find on these pages are God's invitation to put faith into action and see how God wants to move through you today. Point. Glad that you're with us, whether you're joining us in person or online. Um, we say around here that everyone's welcome because nobody's perfect, and with Jesus, anything's possible. And just to give kind of testimony of anything's possible, some people are wearing orange to church today, just to let you know that. Um, and I just want you to know, as, as your pastor, like, just love you, and I'm looking out for you as a shepherd, because there was a conspiracy. Some people were talking about, you know, checkerboarding the auditorium today in orange and white, and I said, no, put a stop to that. That wasn't the everyone's welcome vibe. You're welcome to Jesus, whether you wear crimson or whatever other color you wear coming through the, coming through the doors. But, uh, but yeah, this is, some of y'all need to repent, because you took some goalposts and threw them in a river, and uh, you just need to get right with God. But... Uh, we all need to get right with God. And, uh, and you know, today what we want to talk about is, uh, is how powerful our words are. How powerful our words are. And, and sometimes we forget that. And then it's stories like what I'm about to tell you that remind us. And um, before we're done, though, I want to tell you what I believe are the most powerful words you'll ever speak. Um, but the story... Durham turned six, and it was his six-year-old birthday party, and Ree had this incredible, you know, Pinterest-worthy party put together, and as a dad, it was my job to clean up, and as I was kind of cleaning things up and, uh, and then leaving, I had this thought. I was like, man, something, you know what I wish I did is I wish, like, during the party, I would have got Durham and put him up on a chair, and six-year-old in front of all his little six, seven-year-old friends and all their families, that I would have put Durham up on a chair, put my hands on his shoulders, and just blessed him. And so this is my boy, Durham, I'm so proud of you. And that I would just spoke words of blessing and affirmation and encouragement over him. I was like, man, how great that would have been for a six-year-old to be able to take that in. And, but the problem was I thought about it after the party. And so that next morning, I was down in my study, and I was just spending time with God, and I was kind of thinking, reflecting on it. Man, I wish I would have done that. And it was God met me in that moment of kind of just regret and with this thought, like, well, what would you have said? Like, if you were to have that moment all over again, what would you have said? And so I pulled out a little sticky note, and I began to just write down the words that I would have said to Durham at the party. And I wrote them on a sticky note, and then that, that morning, I went back upstairs, and everybody was kind of getting ready, and, and Durham was, uh, I caught Durham there in the kitchen, and I said, hey, Durham, um, I was thinking about, you know, something that I wish I would have done, is I wish I would have said those words to you. And I was just thanking God um, for you, and some words came to mind. I said, would you like to know? What words came to mind when I thought about you? And he was like, yeah. And so I went down to the study, went downstairs to the basement, went down, and I got that little sticky note, and I came back up, and it was just me and him in the living room. And I said, um, Durham, I want to tell you those words 
ready to hear him? And he said, yeah. And he walked around the little sectional sofa and he went and he laid down on the sectional sofa, just propped his feet up and crossed him and crossed his arms, just looked up at the sky like, I'm just going to take this in, dad. I'm going to take that everything you've got. And I began to read this list and I read the word kind and tender heart, tough, Durham, you're a friend to all. It's your smile, you're full of joy, you're playful, and you're smart. I read those words and I looked down, and he had a tear run down his cheek. I was like, Durham, you're crying. You okay, buddy? He said, yeah, I'm just happy. And he got up, and he walked around the couch, and he came over, and he said, can I have that? And I gave him that little post-it note, and he took it upstairs to his room, and he put it on his chest of drawers. Like, all unprompted, it was just in the economy of his little heart, I'm going to hold on to these words. I'm going to treasure this. And I know as a dad, like I know as an adult, that the stickiness on that sticky note, that it won't stay stuck to the chest of drawers. But I also know as a human, the power of words. I started thinking about this, did a little experiment. I was leading a team at the time. and had about 13 people on the team. I thought, well, if it works like that with a six-year-old, will it work with a 60-year-old? And so we, we went to one of our lead team meetings and we had everybody, all 13 people in the room, and I had prepared sticky notes for each one of them with a few words, words of blessing, things that I saw in them as their boss. And we ran around that circle and I just spoke those words and handed them their sticky notes. And I saw some people tear up in, I mean, adults tearing up in that room. And it was a year later that one of the guys, Matt, who was on the team, I was riding with him in his car and I saw that he kept that sticky note, a grown man kept that sticky note in his car. Your words are powerful, especially where you have authority. Your words are even more powerful. Where you've been given responsibility, where you've been given authority, words matter. But in all of our lives, words matter. I was, I was thinking about something that uh, Abraham Joshua Heschel said. He, said. he said, our words create worlds. Just as when God spoke the, the creation into existence, our words are these sacred tools that are used to shape worlds for people. A couple examples that came to mind from my own life. One is, is when Pastor Larry Wynn, when he said, you've got a gift, you should do more of that. The story behind it is that I was in college and my college uh, Sunday school teacher, his name was Ronnie Brassfield. He was a retired chicken farmer. And he, because everybody needs a Sunday school teacher who was a retired chicken farmer. And he asked me, he said, well, you teach class for me one Sunday. And so I did. I was teaching my peers. And then I look out in the class and in the back of the class, I see the senior pastor of the church, like a 5,000 person church. That senior pastor is in the back of the room. And I got nervous because the lead pastor of the church is sitting in the back. And, and at the end, of the end of the class, he walked down front and he said, hey, you've got a gift. You should do more of that. And I started thinking about it. And I was like, that created this, this, this chain reaction of me being up here right now with somebody to speak those words to affirm the gift. Started thinking of other times that words had marked me and I thought about this phrase, you're worthless, queen. I missed a block. In high school, I missed a block and coach, and I put a blank because I'm not gonna tell you his name because words matter. And, uh, but that, maybe he was having a bad day, maybe a bad week, maybe a bad year, but I missed that block and he said, you're worthless queen. And listen, I've had much worse things said to me. I've had much worse things said about me, but something about him saying that at that moment 
It just, it was tattooed on my soul. I can't forget it. And there have been other less opportune times where that phrase has come. It's echoed through my life, that phrase, you're worthless queen. And that's why we need God to set our identity, not things that other people have said about us or other people have said to us. Our identity is found in what God says. When Jesus was baptized, the father says from heaven, it says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Why? Because Jesus needed to hear it. Fully God, fully man. He didn't know he had the Father's blessing. You need to know how the Father sees you and the Father speaks love over your life. He says, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter with whom I'm well pleased. If we don't get our identity from God, we'll go around this world and say, what do you think about me? And what do you think about rummage through the dumpster of this world looking for somebody to speak words over our life when our identity comes from who we are in Christ and who we are to God. What the Father says about us Words matter. Words matter. You know, Proverbs talks about the words that we speak this way. It says that Proverbs 18, 21 says, life and death is in the power of the tongue. Which means we can give, we can give words of life, we can give words of death, we can bring healing, we can bring hurt, we can bring blessing or we can bring a curse. We can bring, we can bring these moments where we call people into their God-given destiny or we can wound their hearts and cause them to shrink back in insecurity and doubt. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. We can bring harmony. We can bring chaos with the words we speak. We can build somebody up or we can tear somebody down. We can lift somebody's attitude or we can introduce bitter thoughts. We can build relationships or we can, we can ruin relationships. Our words are powerful. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Just curious. How many of you have ever said something that you regret by show of hands? All right, you put your hands down. Those of you that didn't raise your hands, how many of you lie about other stuff in church too? <laughs> I mean, the truth is we all, I mean, some of us are like already today, pastor. Like, I mean, we all, we all say things we regret. This is, this is something that we all deal with, this reality that there's life and death and the power of the tongue. We're all in need of God's grace here. And so James is bringing this in James chapter three, and we're reading through the book of James. This is a great book in the New Testament. James, half-brother of Jesus, who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, until he saw Jesus raised from the dead, and then he's like, well, I guess you were right. And so he, so he begins to follow Jesus, becomes one of the leaders in the church, eventually lays his life down for the cause of Christ. This half-brother of Jesus, James, becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem, and he's writing this letter to the church that's been scattered because of persecution. And he gives, these, he gives these words of life, these words of wisdom to the church. And I love the book of James because it's like, it's like the Proverbs of the New Testament, they're all it's just loaded with just wisdom for life, these short, pithy, powerful statements. I mean, it's kind of like the TikTok of the New Testament. It's just these short, like, short statements in the algorithm that we receive today, the algorithm in chapter three. It may not be the algorithm we want, but it's the algorithm we need because it's about the way we speak. And James is going to give us real talk about the words that we say, the words that we speak, the words that we fire off with our thumbs. So we talk about our words and the power of the words that we speak. But before we look at James chapter three, I want us to look at Matthew chapter 12. And I want us to look at what James' big brother, Jesus, said about the way that we speak and the power of our words. This is verse 36 of Matthew chapter 12. It says, but I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. 
That's sobering. True? Now, Jesus was talking to the religious leaders, but he said everyone. He said that everyone will have to give an account for the word and the words, the idle words, the empty words that they've spoken, every lie, every half-truth, every coarse joke, every time, every time we talk bad about somebody, every time we slander a leader, every time we gossip. And if you need a definition of gossip, I got a definition of gossip for you. Gossip is when you talk about somebody with somebody else and neither one of you are part of the problem or the solution. Some of you are scrambling for a pen to write that down. Gossip is when you talk about somebody with somebody else and neither one of you are a part of the problem or the solution. Every harsh word that we say to our kids, every time we lash out or a spouse or a friend, one day I'll have to give an account. That's sobering. I'm in need of God's grace. I'm in need of God's grace to preach this message. The reason it says is this a double-edged sword is because it cuts, it cuts it cuts the, the giver and the, and the hearer. We're in need of this truth. Not a, not a sword to hack us up, but we're in need of a scalpel to bring healing to our hearts when it comes to the way we use our words. James talks about it. James sets us up in verse, verse one of chapter, chapter three. James takes it even further. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. People ask me sometimes before I preach, or they ask me, they say, hey, do you get nervous before you speak in front of the crowds? I get nervous, but not because of this, but because of this. I get nervous because it says you'll be judged more strictly. Who signs up for a double judgment? <laughs> Jesus says, we're all gonna be judged <laughs> for the words that we speak. James says, but spiritual teachers, spiritual preachers, spiritual leaders, you'll be judged even greater. When I was 17, I was talking with a pastor, Pastor Doug, that lived down the street, and I was talking with him. I said, I think I feel called to ministry. I think I feel called to be a pastor. He said, if you can do anything else, do it. You know what he was saying? Like, it's gotta be a calling, not a job not just a profession, it's gotta be a calling because there's a greater judgment where there's higher um, spiritual authority. says there's, there's greater accountability. You'll be held accountable for the words that you speak. That's why every Sunday on the way into church, um, I call my mom. Uh, she's an hour ahead, she's Eastern Standard, so I call my mom and I uh, I'll talk with her, ask her to pray for me. And I call my, one of my best friends, Dave Clayton, who pastors Ethos Church in Nashville, and I call Dave, and we pray for each other. When I get here before the nine o'clock service, my wife Ree's there, and I ask Ree to pray for me. I, get, I mean, I got the trifecta of prayer. We got a group of people. We gather together before the service starts. We gather together back in the back. It's like a prayer. And because I, I can't do this in my own power. I can't do it in my own strength. I pray to God, would, would the words in my mouth, the meditation in my heart be pleasing to you? God, I need your power. I need your grace to speak the words that you would have me to speak. I don't want to speak anything that, that's not true. So I'm saying, God, I need your help in this. And this is not just people in the place. We all need God's grace in this. James says in the next verse, he says, he says, we all stumble. We all stumble. He says, we, we all stumble in this, and I, I, I want to live a life of integrity. 
I want to live an, an integrated life. You know what I mean? An integrated life. Like I want to be the same person off the platform as I am on the platform. I want to be the same person at 11 p.m. as I am at 11 a.m. I want to, I want to be, the, be the same person. And I'm not perfect. You know, if, if you're confused about that, you can, just, you can talk to my wife, Ray. She will let you know. Like, I'm, I'm not perfect. I want, to, I want to go after character. I want to go after integrity. And you know what? I believe, I believe you want to, we all want to figure out together, how do I live an integrated life? We can't do it in our own strength. We can't do it in our own power. It's by God's grace and by his power that he makes us more like Christ. James says, we all stumble in many ways. And I think the reason he says that, he says, hey, so if you ever find yourself, we ever find ourselves looking down on somebody else, he's like, hey, we all stumble in many ways. I mean, the way, the way they stumble might be different than the way you stumble, but, but we, we, we all stumble in life. And James says, anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. He's saying we all stumble in many ways. We all raised our hands, <laughs> especially we stumble in the way we speak. And then James says that the person who is perfect, now that word perfect in the Greek, when you break it down, it means mature or complete or, or whole. The person who lives with integrity. He's the person who has an integrated life. The person who is mature, spiritually mature, is, is able to demonstrate that with the, words that they, with the words they speak. So the words that we speak are a barometer of our spiritual maturity. And then he makes this spiritual principle. He says, if you can control your tongue, you can control your body. And some of us, we can't control our body because we can't control our tongue. James says, there is this correlation between controlling your tongue and controlling your body. And we wonder, like, why aren't there more opportunities? Or why isn't there you know, more advancement at work? Or, or why, are, why are, is there drama that just kind of follows in relationships? Or, or why is there always breakdown in, in family and friendship or relationship? Or why can't I go deeper in my faith? Or why do I battle with self-control physically, sexually, relationally, financially? And James would say, you might be treating the symptoms but the root cause may be the inability to control the thing that is hidden behind the cage of your teeth. And if it feels tense in the room right now, it's because we all need help with this. And James would say, I want to help you move forward in faith. I wanna help you deepen spiritual maturity. I wanna help you grow in the ability, the spiritual ability to, to, to speak words of life. I wanna help move forward in this movement of Jesus. I wanna I want give, give you some breakthrough in what it means to, to use your mouth and use your words in a way that bring life to other people. And I'm saying, I need help with that. Well, James says, there's three things we need to recognize. And I wanna give you two things we can do, we can put into practice this week. Three things to recognize. If you're taking notes, you write down the first one. And before we're done, I'm gonna give you the most important words you can say. The first thing James wants us to recognize is that our words are powerful. That our words are what? Powerful. And he gives these illustrations. He's like, it's like a, it's like a, like a bit in a horse's mouth. It's like a rudder on a ship. He says, it's like your words and your, your tongue has a disproportionate greater power to steer your life. A bit can steer a horse. A rudder can steer a ship. And this, our, our mouths, our tongues are these small things that can, that can steer the direction and the quality of our lives. And so he gives, us that, he gives us that illustration and then he gives us a warning. And he says, so your tongue is like a spark, like a spark. 
He says, it can do a lot of damage. I mean, if I just take this, this cup of water and I go and I pour out a little bit on the platform, you're not alarmed. You're not shocked. Somebody looking like, why'd you do that? I don't know. <laughs> For an illustration, we can look down and we should, there's a little puddle and it'll be, dry, it'll be dry before the end of the message. But now if I take a box of matches and I take one of these, James says, your words, your tone is like a spark. And here's what we know about this, that I can take this match and if I put it in the wrong place at the wrong time, I, I can do great damage. A spark can burn down a house. It can burn down a building. Some of y'all saw that go out and you're like, shh. <laughs> because we know the damage that it can do. Chicago, it burned down a city. And we know that the, the power of words and that they can burn down a relationship and they can leave scorched earth in a family. And they can tear apart a marriage and they can do great damage in a friendship and in a small group, in a business, with a team. It's the power of our words. And James is saying our words are powerful. They can do great damage. Fiery words shot by a tongue have the power, the capacity to do significant damage. So James is saying our words are powerful. And then the second thing he wants us to recognize is that we're unable to tame our tongues. This is what's so frustrating. He gives some illustration. He said, we can tame all kinds of animals. We can tame dogs and lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, we can tame all of these things. And we can even tame a whale. I mean, the, we can tame a whale to do backflips at SeaWorld, but we can't, we can't tame these, these little tongues in our mouth. So we can, we can, tame, we can tame Shamu to, 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 to splash in the splash zone, but the mess that our, that our tongues are, we can't, we can't tame the tongues. And he gives this illustration. He says, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. He's saying we go to church and we go to church and we praise God, bless God, bless God, from whom all blessings flow. We praise God and then, the, and then we get in the car and we're driving out and then we start like fighting or the fights that happen on the way to church. Some of the reason it's tense right now because there was a fight on the way to church. We fight on the way to church about stupid things. Kids fight about stupid things. Kids are like, don't touch me. He's on my side. She looked at me. What does that mean? She looked at me. She's looking at me. Well, yeah, but, but we fight, we've, and we don't know if they jacked up on the cinnamon rolls or is demon possession. We don't know, but there's arguments, and then we're like, and then she says, shut up to her brother, and you're like, don't say shut up, and then they keep fighting, you're like, shut up, you know, and it's like, in those moments on the way to, on the way to church, and then we go and we praise God, and James is like, this is, this is how we can't tame our tongues. We're in need of God's grace. There's none of us that are self-righteous in this. Reminds me of Isaiah chapter six, Isaiah, the year King, King Uzziah died. He caught this vision of God, this vision of heaven. He said, I saw the Lord seated on the throne. The train of his robe filled the temple with glory. He said, and there were angels that were above him declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Isaiah is going, the only holy one is God. He said, when I saw him there in all of his glory, he said, woe is me. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. He says, at that moment, one of the angels went and got the coal from the altar and came and brought the coal and touched my lips and cleansed me and said, you've been forgiven. And then God said, who will go for me? Who will go and declare who I am to the nations? And Isaiah said, here I am, send me. 
What that story tells us is that when we get a vision of God and we see him for who he is, we see our own brokenness with the way that we speak. We see our great need for his mercy and for his grace. And we see a God who is quick to offer forgiveness. And a God who will say, you go for me. Will you go on behalf of me? And as Isaiah said, we say, God, here I am. Send me. Our words are powerful. We can't tame our tongues. Then also James wants us to recognize that our words indicate what's going on in our hearts. Our words indicate what's going on in our hearts. Our words serve like the dashboard of what's going on under the hood of our hearts. James says it this way. He's, he's talking, he gives some illustration. And he talks about, he talks about how a, uh, a fig tree can't make olives and a grapevine can't bear figs and a saltwater spring can't, can't produce fresh water. I think James got these illustrations from his big brother, Jesus, who said, Matthew 12, 34, he says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if we wanna know what our, what our hearts are full of, we can just go back and do an audit of our words. Words are an indication of what's going on in our hearts. I have a cup up here of some liquid. Do you know what liquid's in this cup? Water, you know how you know that? I told you, it was not a trick question. I was just, I was wondering if you were listening. There's water in this cup. Another way to find out what's in this cup is just to bump into me. If you wanna know what's in your heart, just listen what happens when somebody bumps into you. And people are gonna bump into us all the time. They'll bump into, people are gonna wrong us, people are gonna offend us. People are gonna get promotions, people are gonna achieve, people are gonna win things, people are gonna cut in line, people are gonna say things that annoy us, people are gonna say things that, that, and sometimes they're gonna take the credit when we think like we deserve the credit, people are gonna drive us crazy, and when we're bumped into, just like this cup, when we're bumped into what's inside of us comes outside of us. And what James is saying is that our, that our words indicate what's going on in our hearts, and here's the truth, we don't need a new mouth, we need a new heart. And the reason Jesus came is to give us a new heart. He says, I will take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will take your heart of insecurity and bitterness and envy and jealousy and selfish ambition. And I will take your heart and I will give you a heart of flesh. James says this way, he says, seek wisdom that's come from above. And he talks about what that wisdom that comes from above is. He says, wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, and submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. I wonder if James was thinking about Jesus. When Jesus as wisdom that had come from above. Jesus being the one who is, I wonder if he thought about Jesus in those things and he's thinking, seek, seek to speak words like that. Ask God, God, would you help me speak words like that? So if we wanna grow in that, let me give you a couple practices. Those are three things to recognize. Let me give you two practices to help us grow in spiritual maturity. If we wanna grow in spiritual maturity in how we speak, let me give you two practices. Two practices this week. The first one is practice quick repentance. You know what quick repentance is? Be quick to say, I'm sorry. Because James said, we all stumble. We are all going to stumble this weekend. We're all, everybody, everybody who raised their hand is gonna stumble this week. But have you ever like just stumbled when you were just walking down the sidewalk? Like, and in that moment, sometimes you'll look back, like blame the ground when you know it was your feet. 
But like in those moments, like when we stumble and we look back, here's another, here's another way we play it off. We're like this. We do, we're just walking and we stumble and then we break off into a run. <laughs> like you got, on your, you got on your work clothes like you were going to go for a run. And you're in the hallway at school. You just break off into a sprint. And in, the, in those moments, we try to play it off. It is like us when we stumble to try to play it off. It is like us when we stumble with the way we speak to try to play it off, try to blame it, excuse it, justify it. We got an inner lawyer in our head that goes to work overtime trying to justify what we said rather than to say, you know what, I'm sorry. You know, my favorite athletes on the field are the ones that do this after they screw up. You'll see the athletes who screw up and after that play, they go, my bad, my bad. Not trying to blame other people on the team because they know that a team can't function well together without accountability and repentance. And repentance is just going back and saying, I'm sorry. You know what, you know what the two hardest words to say in the English language are? Worcestershire and quinoa. Those are the two hardest words to say in the English language. No, really, let me give you the two hardest words to say. I'm sorry. And we, we struggle with this because it offends our pride. But it's through humility that God restores broken relationships. It's through humility and confession. If you confess your sins to one another, you'll be healed. It's the confession, man, I'm sorry. Be quick to repent. The second thing to practice is to practice reverse gossip. Practice reverse gossip. Reverse gossip is doing the opposite of gossip. It's, it's speaking well about other people behind their back. It's talking about their achievements, their accomplishments, what they're good at, how well. And see, gossip is speaking negatively behind somebody's back. Reverse gossip, you ever play Uno and play the reverse card? He's like, reverse the conversation, like send it the other direction. And then instead of, instead of speaking negatively, speak positively. Can you imagine, I mean, what's our first inclination when somebody says, hey, so-and-so was talking about you. We're like, oh, they were. Yeah, but they were, they were bragging on you. All right. How encouraging is that when people speak positively behind our backs? As followers of Jesus, let's be those who lead the way in practicing reverse gossip. And if the world gossips, let's be those who give words of life behind other people's back. And if you don't have anything positive to say, you had a mama too. <laughs> but what would it be like for us to begin to train our hearts and our minds to think positively? What does it look like to get a yellow sticky note you get somebody in mind and just write down some words of affirmation, encouragement, and blessing. Because we know it works from six to 60. But then to give that and say, I was thanking God for you. And these are some of the words that came to mind. Could transform relationships, could transform marriages, could transform children, could transform relationships with parents. Power of a yellow sticky note. And what I love about this is in this passage, we see what God thinks when he looks at you. When God looks at you, you just hear the Father speak these words over you. If you're in Christ, you got a new heart. Just hear the Father say these words, pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, 
good fruit, impartial and sincere. Jesus has put his heart in you. If some of us would hear those words, you're like, I don't know if you got the right person, Father. It's what God sees in you. You have the righteousness of Christ Jesus in you and on you. And you know what? I don't live these perfectly. I'm in process. I'm in process. But by God's grace, he is forming me and shaping me into the image of Christ. And by God's grace, he's forming you and shaping you in this. But this is who, and maybe what being a follower of Jesus is, it's living into the identity that we've already been given in Christ. He says, you're my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter with whom I'm well pleased. So the most important words that we can say is to say yes to Christ. Look at Romans 10, 9. It says, if you declare with your mouth, if you speak the words, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In other words, what Paul is saying there, the apostle Paul is saying, if we speak these words, if we declare these things that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. James says, it's not enough to believe. Even demons believe and they shudder. But it's this confession that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is overall, that I, that I am bringing all of who I am to Christ. And I'm receiving his forgiveness. I'm receiving his grace. It's by his grace through faith that we're saved, not by works, not by how good you do, not by the words that you say, not by how much money you give, not by going on a mission trip. Those things are great, but they don't bring about our salvation. We are saved by grace through faith, the confession that Jesus is Lord. That's why when people are baptized, we ask two questions. First question is, do you place your faith and trust in Jesus? Do you confess Jesus is Lord? Yes. And the second question, you commit to follow Jesus all the rest of your life. Yeah. And then after those two questions, we take people under. We wade about 30, 45. I'm just kidding. We, then we bring them right back up. And in that moment, it's that person. Some of you guys got real nervous. That's real quick. In fact, I, we want to show you the first baptism of the day, show you the video of that baptism. And, uh, and I want to tell you Zach's story. But before I do that, I was thinking, you know, there may be some today where today is your day to be baptized, to go public with your faith in Jesus. Maybe today is the day of confession for the very first time, say the most powerful words. And the reason they're the most powerful words because they're eternal. That prayer is eternal. Forever with God in heaven, that you would spend eternity with him and that you would live life with him here on earth. And it happens in a moment. And so I'd love to lead you in that prayer so I want to invite you just to bow your heads and close your eyes with me across the room. And let's begin, before we pray that prayer, let's begin from that place of just telling God we need his grace. Maybe some of you, you've been following Jesus for a, for a long time, but today God has revealed how he sees you, who you are, what he's calling you into with the words that you speak. Maybe the first place that we need to repent today is just come home to him. Just be quick to repent to him. And I 
I pray that as a, as a church and as a people, you would raise us up. That we would be known for words of blessing, words of life. That through our words, you bring healing to relationships. Through our humility to, to repent, to confess, you'd restore what's broken. God, would we be a people of reverse gossip? world goes one way, we go the other. God, would you tell us how you see people so we can give those words to others? And I pray for those who have never said yes to Christ and today is the day. I want to invite you to whisper a prayer. You just whisper this prayer to God. If you want to be made right with God, if you want to put your faith in Jesus, you can pray something like this. Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. Right now, I receive your forgiveness. I receive your grace. I receive new life. I want to spend forever with you in heaven and live for you here on earth. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name.